Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored once again by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Here at the Business Creators Radio Show, we take a from-the-field approach. Many of our episodes, like this one, are filmed from my soundproof quality studio, which also happens to be my sumptuous balcony here in Las Vegas, the hottest city in America. Sometimes I do these from coffee shops, cigar shops, out in the park. The idea is, think about when you are sitting with a couple people and you're having a high-level mastermind conversation where... Brilliant minds share their passions and their expertise, and they get inspired by each other and end up creating ideas and inspirations that are greater in sum than the grand total of what each could have done on their own. We have that, ooh, coming up as somebody saying something. You inspire each other. And when you're in these places, you may hear ambient noises like that car that just drove by or a bird chirping or a little muttered conversation in the background. So I invite you to transport yourself to that place where you may at some point have found that amazing, unexpected aha moment of wisdom and brilliance that transformed your business and your life. And then I want you to make sure you have a pad of paper and two pens ready so that you can capture that aha moment or moments as it or they arise during what you're going to hear today. We're going to be discussing stepping back from your business and removing ego. This is something that I used to struggle with mightily. And although I've developed quite considerably from time to time, I catch myself in the patterns as they manifest. It's totally natural to do that. It's how most of us were raised. It's how most of us were educated. It's how most of us were programmed as entrepreneurs by folks who may have been well-meaning. But we are going to look at this from a new perspective with a new voice, and his name is Craig Swanson. Let me just tell you about him. He's an entrepreneur, business coach, and co-founder of the online learning platform, Create Live. Craig thrives being the secret weapon partnering with online businesses such as, and I may butcher the pronunciation here, Kazafit, Sue Bryce Education. You're really close. Yep. Sue Bryce Education and the Wedding School by helping them into the multi-million dollar mark and even acquisition. So, Craig, I see you're actually on the diving board. You're feeling the water. So come on in. The weather's fine. Adam, thank you very much. I'm really glad to be here today. Sorry, I wasn't sure if I was supposed to be quiet during that or not. No, 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 no. It's all it's all good. I have had people actually try to join in, uh, but uh, you were actually uh, providing a, a crucial batting assist there to help us get the home run. Before we dive in, what I want to do is I want to take just a moment and tell us in your own words. I mean, I read off your bio. It's very impressive. I'm not sure if I'm worthy to be in your presence and this is my show. But in your own words, tell me a bit about your journey. 
who it's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion as you make a difference for your community market and audience. So I, I have worked for myself since I was about 18. So yeah. this, this journey that I've been on is one that I like, am trying to free myself as much as I'm trying to help other people be free. Right. So when I was 18, I started an IT consulting company for graphic designers, ad agencies, and design firms in the Seattle area. Um, I could do it at 18 because it was based around the Macintosh computer. I had as much experience with my limited age as anyone else in the market did because the thing was two years old. Um, and between 18 and, and my age now, I'm, I'm 52, I have been through all ranges of business. The first decade, I was effectively in gig work trading hours um, as a freelancer trying to figure out how to make my life work. Um, the next decade, I was trying to hire people into my business, trying to figure out how to scale my business, really struggling with how do I let go of control? How do I trust people? Uh, how do I get out of their way? Um, I wasn't able to get myself out of that IT business until probably about 25 years into it when I got to a place where it was running itself. So that whole process of like being trapped in a small service-based business, trying to figure out how to trust other people, trying to get myself out of it finding my balance. That was the first 25 years of my career. And then I incubated inside of that business, um, an online training concept. This was in the late 2000s, around 2008 that we spun off as a, um, as a startup called creative live in 2010. And since then I have been launching digital products, building digital companies with entrepreneurs and basically creating online platforms for people to really be able to, to grow. And, and I've done this at all different levels of sales. Um, and I think I am to some degree trying to integrate all of that together and uh, try to figure out how to best help entrepreneurs that are, are trapping themselves in their own business um, kind of through holding on too tight to it like I was. Absolutely. And, you know, when I first started my business, it was my baby. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, I recall, and this is the first time I've ever shared this on Business Creators Radio, for those of you who've heard our stories, that back in the early days when it was a web development firm, we used to join in tandem with other agencies and other firms that would cover different parts of a comprehensive marketing project before I branched out into website conversion consulting and copywriting and ghostwriting uh, that allowed me to handle it more directly through my own ages. And I remember on Sunday morning, um, one of my partners in the project leaving me a really nasty voicemail uh, going on about how the DNS had not been set for the client's new website. And uh, he decided that would be a great time to tell me that I'm a complete fuck up and uh, now we have no integrity and I've completely destroyed everything. Meanwhile, what he wasn't aware of is that, the, that our shared client had not given me the access to their registrar yet after I'd asked three times. So the reason I bring this up is I spent most of Sunday afternoon finding new and inventive ways to leave him messages and emails telling him exactly what I thought of him personally. That led to a blow up, which I was intentionally exacerbating. Now, the reason why I did that is because I felt personally insulted that he decided to have one of his temper tantrums and take it out on me without evidence and without asking what was going on. 
Now, if something like that happened today's day and age, I would very calmly say, whoa, buckaroo, uh, I'm going to give you a chance to completely approach me with that again and try a completely different tonality and a different angle. And think about why what you just said is probably not going to help anything here and let them draw their own conclusions. But at the time, I was so wrapped up with the ego and I was so deep into the business that there was not even the possibility of me stepping back because there was a huge divide behind me between me and me even being able to step back because I was so wrapped in the identity. In fact, one of the missives I sent him was about how my business was all I had and I wasn't going to let him, no matter who he thought he was, do anything to it. I would fight him to the death if he tried to hurt my business because I interpreted that as hurting me. So I share this, and again, I in my podcast reach teachings, I tell people that when you're a podcaster, whether you're the host or the guest, you are their voice. And I say to my people, I am your voice. I will share things that are not my finest hour so that I can also show you the silver lining that was shown to me that I invest in that has made me stronger. Most folks, or I would say at least many folks, have instances like this. And they may be afraid or embarrassed to share because what would people think of them? Yeah, you're supposed to have it all together, right? So by me saying it, others without themselves having to say, oh yeah, here's my story, which is substantially the same thing, can join me and say, oh yeah, yeah, you get me, you get me. And then we can join together in doing great things. But that's my own personal story and really why your topic resonates with me, Craig, is because I know how that feels to be so wrapped up in ego and so deep into your business that you don't even know how to step back. You know, I mean, that really hits home for me, especially in a service-based business with in a, in a technical service-based business where you're supporting other businesses. I, I have been exactly where you are describing. Um, um, I often say, so, so when, when a lot of small business owners like me would draw a Venn diagram of themselves, if they would draw a circle representing themselves and a circle representing their business, the two circles would be so overlapped as to appear as to only be one. Right. And, and really, like, especially in, in the first decade, I desperately told people I wanted to somehow build a business that could be separate from me, but everything I did... Um, put, put that, put that to a lie. I mean, I clearly did not want the business to separate from me in any fashion whatsoever. Any personal slight, any slight against the business was a personal slight. Any uh, reward for the business was a personal reward. My identity was so wrapped up in that, that I couldn't separate myself. It was my identity. Yeah. Um, what I really loved is you said my business was my baby. And actually that is exactly how I felt. And the, the, the actual thing that, that really created the opportunity for me to separate is that my wife and I got pregnant with our future real baby where all of a sudden yeah. I had a real baby coming and um, just a little bit personal. Uh, she was pre-diagnosed with down syndrome. We knew that there, we needed to make some changes in our family to give her more support. And prior to that, I would give my business anything. I treated it like offspring. It could take my blood. It could take my hours. It could take everything that I had. Um, I would, to some degree, sacrifice my family for, which at that time was just myself and my wife. And when I had an actual child coming, that was the time that my wife and I sat down and really looked at the balance between the business. 
the business was not serving me. I was serving the business and we had a real baby coming that we needed to support. And we made a decision together at that time that we were willing to let my business die in order to find a balance that was going to support the family long-term. And I, and I honestly think if, if we had not made that conscious decision to let the business as it was die, and if I was not forced to confront the fact that I had an unhealthy relationship with my business, I don't know that I ever would have created the distance to allow it to grow into something that could live beyond me. Yeah. And in other episodes of the show, we've discussed uh, creating a scalable asset, creating mm-hmm. legacy. And here you are speaking of something completely opposite. Um, how could I just let my business die if need be? Well, how- yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I'd like to, and I'd like to actually just delve a little bit deeper into that until we get into some of the points that you wanted to cover here, which are very intriguing, is you know, most people think about, okay, well, all right, got the baby on the way. Got to change my life here. So it's time to diversify, create more streams of income, and leverage through hiring and outsourcing. And here Craig's taking a perspective of, well, if need be, we'll just kill this sucker. I mean, yeah. honestly, th- th- that was the conversation. I mean, that was the conversation. Uh-huh. I will say the conversation where we allowed the business to die. I, I genuinely went, we went into a period where I effectively had about six months before the, the birth of my child. Yeah. Um, where we knew that we were going to let this business go if we had not figured it out. And that deadline and that decision to allow it to die allowed me to take risks and make decisions that, that put the business at risk, but allowed me to create something that was completely different from what it was previously. So effectively I did let the business die because the business that existed beforehand was this symbiotic thing with me. That symbiotic thing with me died. Yeah. What, what birthed out of it was a business in which I had created the space between me and the business that, that. I could allow it to look bad in public if necessary. I could allow it to make mistakes as growing. I could allow it to do things that didn't hit my ego personally so that it could start to mature into a business that could survive as opposed to just being this thing that I manipulate as a puppeteer. Right. And you know, uh, it's funny you mentioned that. I'm 45 years old myself. I, and I have no mm-hmm. problem saying that. Hey, hey, somebody thinks that they can crack me, go ahead. Um, mm-hmm. Now, as of this moment, I do not get cards on Father's Day, is the way I like to put it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I've not been married yet. I've dodged that bullet twice, as I like to say. Now, for years, it was like, cool, whatever, because I wasn't really actively dating and mating, so to speak. But within the past year, I moved into a place where I am in search of potentially a partner, or I do find myself in situations where hey, I could get an 18-year bill for this. I mean, I'm just being real here. I mean, this is something you have to think about in very analytical, sober terms when you're pondering real-life shit. So it got me thinking, maybe the reason that I didn't move to step away from my business or build something I could truly leverage is because that wasn't really on the radar screen. But now it is. And I know that uh, I could find that special woman or what have you, or uh, something could unexpectedly happen. And either way, the end result is you had about six months. I would be told, okay, congratulations. You have eight months to figure it out. You got to get out in eight months. 
So I preempted that. And I created a process called the Podcast Reach System, which is what many of our listeners know is my primary business at this point. It's our unique system for working with entrepreneurs to launch your podcast as your key networking, client attraction, celebrity acts, or branding tool based on my 10 years of experience in the industry and having actually done this work for most of my private consulting clients. Now, I designed it in such a way, and I used a formula from another one of our guests. Um, her name is Pia Silver. Pia Silva. Pia Silva. Uh, and she uh, has, I think it's called Badass Brand, I believe is the name of it. And I read her book and I followed her model for how to create a business that allows you to do high ticket, high impact, high speed, get in and get out type projects so they don't dominate your life in such a way that you don't have to build a team to fulfill them quickly. And I've set it up with the podcast reach system, so I have two things going for me. If I only have one or two reachers on the board, I can do all this work myself. All I have to do is just find a few dedicated days where the world leaves me alone and get it done and do some coaching calls with them. Not the end of the world. I have a graphic designer to help with a graphic piece, and that's it. However, I also designed it in such a way where up to 80% of it can be easily outsourced to a virtual assistant with moderate skills and moderate rates. And... I have three or four of those types of virtual assistants in my orbit to whom I gave the podcast reach system and had themselves familiarize themselves with it. So at any time, I can say, okay, I, I got, uh, I've got about three more reachers and I can really handle here all on my own. Um, are, you, are you down right now to take on steps three, four, seven, and eight on this one? And uh, they say, yes, I wire them some money and now we get it done. Uh, and I can repeat and repeat and rinse as necessary. Now, let's say I get in a situation where somebody comes to me and they want to podcast now, and they're actually, their sleeves are already rolled up and they're ready to go. So they say something to me like, they say, you know, I know when I work with you, I'm going to get it good and fast, but I want it good and real fast. And, uh, you know, and maybe you're, and right now, Adam, you're talking about paperwork. I'm talking about the paper that's ready to work in my wallet right now. How much more to get it in a week? Well, hmm. shoot. I also have people around me where I can say, hey, I got a live one here and this one wants to move fast. Uh, you got some time on your calendar? And I even have two if I have to divide up the work. So that's what I did. I created a business that is simultaneously something that can be done solo entrepreneurially and scalably and can be switched on a dime. That is fantastic. Now, I, I'm curious, um, have you ever had the experience or how would you feel if one of the people you outsourced to did a better job than you? Well, shoot, I would go find more clients. <laughs> All right. Damn. Mm -hmm. and, and, I'd, and I'd probably raise their rates. I mean, mm -hmm. hell, why not? Uh, they're, they're, I mean, I am aware that there are a lot of people that are better at what I do than what I do. And I'll tell you this also, Craig, I like to work with clients who understand what I do as well as I do, and maybe even a little bit better than me. The reason why is because unlike those who are the blind being led by the one-eyed man, they understand what it is I do. They know the value. They're not going to hem and haul over price. And also, they are much more likely to get me what I need as part of the process because they know how the process works, and they know that their contributions keep it forward. Those tend to be our best clients. 
And also the most fun for me to work with, because when I have conversations with them, I'm having peer conversations rather than explaining the same thing to them 19 times that they still don't get. Yeah, that's fantastic. You know, actually, kind of back at the beginning, when you were talking about like um, kind of your kind of the trigger that got you thinking about creating something that could work without you. It just made me think um, in, in the book built to sell by John. Um, I think it's Warlow. He actually made a really good point that a lot of business owners um, focus on what they don't want in their business. Yes. Um, and that is generally never enough for them to really create the type of change within their business that they need to change. Uh-huh. And that, Business owners often cannot sell their business or cannot get to a place that they could sell their business without a really clear understanding or an opportunity to dream about what they're moving towards, what they want in their life. Right. Very true. And I I was there too. Um, I went through a three-year period, and this is a story I've told many times, where I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Fortunately, Mm -hmm. I had this podcast as my marketing tools. The only thing I had, it was my only networking function. And it still got me more clients. Uh, On the one hand, I had the freedom to experiment with different types of projects without having to declare myself to be in that business. And I had plenty to keep the lights on. But on the other hand, I really had nothing to market because I didn't know what to declare myself as. So, um, and part of that was I kept looking toward all the businesses I'd been in, all the iterations of my business during the first 10 years. And I kept focusing on the things that I would sooner lobotomize lobotomize myself with a butter knife without anesthesia than ever touch again. But then mm-hmm. I shifted and I decided, let's go find what I want. Mm-hmm. And the way I did it is I create a blog and for 90 days, I just posted about whatever inspired me, whatever I was interested in and whatever, whatever was grinding my gears about business things that interested me. At the end of 90 days, I went back, I divided that into categories in WordPress which then became chapters, which then with some editing and uh, putting an overlying story on top of it became my, the thing I will call my baby, my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy. And at that point, I had a specific framework for my personal private business consulting, which is under the aegis of the agency we call the Business Creators Institute, which is the pair of the Business Creators Radio Show. Now, fast forward a couple of years, I had to decide what is one thing that I really just love doing, just love doing and launching podcasts became the answer. And I went through a couple other types of pilots before I got there, but man, the podcast reached system. Oh man, I, that can wake me up without an alarm clock. That is fantastic. And so, I, I, and so it's I also, love waking up Monday excited. Yeah. And exactly, exactly. What's also great about that is, is the fact that I have this thing. I can point to it and say, yes to this. Show me better. Show me more. Show me more. Show me better now. Yes, yes, yes. And because I'm saying yes, yes, yes to that, it's actually very easy for me without a lot of processing in my mind or feelings of guilt or feelings of any sort of negativity to just look at other opportunities and say either hell no or uh, not at this point, uh, see me in six months. You know, I, you, you, you said that, uh, you're still trying to figure out what you want to be, or at this point you were trying to figure out what you want to be when you grow up. I feel like that is exactly where I'm at this year. Yeah. Um, so last year, 
2021 in eight, so I'm, I'm used to having multiple businesses. So I, yeah. I generally always have two to three businesses going. Yeah. Um, that is in part because I am a creator. I, I, I create, I come up with ideas. I'm an innovator. And if I try to pour all of my innovation into one business, one business does not want that level of innovation. One business wants to be stabilized and yeah. repeatable. Um, and so I actually find it's a disservice for my energy to try to be funneled into only one business. Right. Now, now just to be a little bit salacious here, mm -hmm. um, you know, you make the argument for polyamory. Now you strike mm -hmm. me as a family guy type, but yeah. there are folks out there and I have friends like this who uh, believe in polyamory and positive polyamory because they, in their mind and in their experience, not one partner can possibly fulfill everything that they want because people are different and they, and, and in the real world that may be challenging to find that ideal dream man or dream woman or dream whatever it is you're looking for. So having multiple lovers or partners allows them to get the best of everything they're looking for. And again, I don't, I, we pass no value judgments on this show. And if you heard some of our other topics, you'd know we go into topics, uh, so to speak. But I just wanted to bring that out so that our listeners can have a, holy hell, what did Adam just say? And sit up and pay attention. Go ahead. Well, I, so I'm, I agree with that to a degree. So yeah. it's, an imp it's an important degree. Yeah. Um, I, there are parts of my life that I only have a single partner for. And that's my right. wife. And, and yeah, that, that's why I said, that's why I said, you're yeah. a family guy. You, um, I, I am absolutely a family guy. Yeah, exactly. But I also, I early on in the first, in the first five years of our marriage, I would pick fights with my wife until it blew up to the point that I would storm out of the house. And I remember one time we, I was starting to spin up in this and I realized just, I, I realized because it was ridiculous what I was angry about, that all that anger really had nothing to do with our relationship. I just wanted to go be alone for a period of time. Yeah. And we had a conversation about that. And I just basically said, can I skip the part where I get really angry and like create a conflict and can I just need to go be alone because um, that's part of where I create. And early on, I thought that my marriage relationship was supposed to be everything. Like, I, I, like that was supposed to contain all of me. And I really started to realize that our marriage worked better when there's a lot of autonomy and she needs things in friends that she's not going to get out of me. I need things in friends and business and creation that I don't get from her. Uh -huh. And that doesn't mean that our marriage is weaker. In fact, it is stronger because we're not trying to shove things that are not strong in the marriage into the marriage. Yeah. Um, and so there's a level of honesty. And actually for me, like that whole story about like becoming inappropriately angry, almost most of my major breakthrough moments personally around business have come from me observing an inappropriate amount of anger from me over a situation. Yeah. And when I am inappropriately angry, I usually know it's something about a driving force in me about something about me. It's nothing about the situation. Um, and yeah. And, and honestly, that was, it was, it was in, in around 2003, 2004, I got inappropriately angry at a sales rep. That, that that I had hired. Oh, I've um, uh, I've I've been there too. We've mm -hmm. and again and again because we as podcast leaders are the voice of our respective audiences. We can share this. So go ahead. 
exactly. And, and, you know, he, he was not creating results. I mean, that was part of it. But honestly, the thing that I realized that I was so angry about with him, once I, once I realized that my anger was no longer justifiable about his behavior, um, once, once I, like, I observed this anger is inappropriate for what is happening. So this anger is about me. It's not about anyone else. Right. And what I was observing him doing was just coming up with like a ton of ideas that I knew he was never going to follow through on. And it made me so angry. Um, and when I really dug into that, when I really dug into that and looked at myself, I realized I, I am an idea generator and I had spent the first 15 years of my career dialing back on that, that mind of mine that generates ideas rapidly because I was so convinced and terrified that if I let that part of myself go, it would be the, it would be the cause of my divorce. It would be the cause of my business failure. It would be the cause of like the destruction of everything I wanted to build. And so I was constantly heaping on myself, um, both trying to keep myself from coming up with ideas and at the same time punishing myself for not following through on the ideas I came up with. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that when you were uncertain with what you wanted to do, you went into a 90 day period of writing a blog. Yeah. Um, actually, so I do something, so I do something a little bit different, but probably from a similar place. One of the things that I've created my sales, and, and this is something I started right after I got really angry at, at met my sales guy is I, decided I was going to spend time coming up with 101 ideas for the business that I had no intention of following through on. So I created this process and, and I, and I end up like buying these moleskin bags. So I actually do this all the time. Now, whenever I am at a junction, I give myself the space where I create 101 ideas around a theme, whether it takes me a week or a month. And I, and I come up with 101 ideas around a theme before I make a decision on any action. Yeah. And that is for me to just, cool. first of all, enjoy just the process of coming up with ideas and separating that from execution because so much of my professional life early on was chasing, was committing to years of action around an idea I was in love with for less than 24 hours and then punishing myself when it turned out that that decision was not completely thought through. Right. Um, and so I do this all the time now. If I come into a new area, I just create a space for me to safely ide uh, ideate without putting on myself or anyone on my team the expectation that we are going to do any of these ideas. And then once the ideas are collected, I go through and look for themes. And then often we'll decide on, on what we're going to basically spend the next year to five years building. Right. Exa exactly. So, yeah, you said so much that's so powerful with all of that. And I also believe that the break, the breakdown comes, excuse me, the breakthrough comes right after the breakdown. And one of the great lessons for 2021 for me was that if you're feeling something, feel it, burn through it. Mm -hmm. And if you want to get there faster, then to use that, to use a paraphrase of that line from the trial scene in the movie Sense of a Woman, take a fucking frame flamethrower this place and get there faster, whatever it takes. Because when you feel that you will have the opportunity to have the experience and the lessons that come from it. And 
because it will be visceral for you, it will push you forward so much faster. Yeah, absolutely. And and the only thing I would say for me that I've learned around that for me is while I'm feeling it, I also recognize this feeling is about me. It's not about the circumstances. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, um, so to uh, so start to bring a little bit of this together, and I know there's some things you want to cover here in our in our second half hour. Um, you know, I think we might have touched on this already, but I want to ask the question directly to make sure that we fully hit it. Um, why is it important to acknowledge your insecurities in order to grow your business? Well, so I actually so whether it's insecurities or other motivations. I have started to use in my own coaching for myself and for my coaching with other people, something I'm calling like my emotional story. Um, I, I used to make pros and cons lists of tactical decisions. Yes. And somehow had a belief that the right business decision was somewhat divorced from my emotional feelings around what I want and more tied into some logical item that is tied to numbers or sales figures or something else. Yeah. Um, and especially in the area around people who are trying to create a business that can grow beyond them or that, or they're contemplating even selling their business. Um, I have seen a lot of business owners consider selling their business through the mindset of what is the right number or looking at the numbers involved without really exploring emotionally what it is that they really wanted. Um, and pr- probably the, 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 the best example of this is small business owners that have started to read books. And if I had, and I've, I've taken a, I've drank a certain amount of the Kool-Aid when it comes to, um, creating a business that can work without you are constantly talking about creating a business that can work without them. And it is a repeating theme. And yet, emotionally, as soon as that business starts to show any independence from them, the emotional response leads them to find all these problems to immediately dial back to dial things in. Because I would argue, and at least this is the case for me, a lot of business owners don't emotionally want their business to separate from them. Yeah. They, they say they want the business to operate without them, but to consider a possibility where the business might function better without them than with them is kind of an existential crisis that puts their whole identity at risk. It's yeah. a little bit like, so it's a little bit like I use the analogy in a marriage. Um, if, if my wife came home one day and said, you know, I think our marriage would work better without you. That is kind of a fundamental existential crisis for me. And that is, I think, mm-hmm. analogous to what a lot of business people find on an emotional level when they try to create something that can work, better, uh, work without them. And for me, that means um, when I allow a, an employee the freedom to start showing areas of dominance and control and, and creativity that are outside of the scope of what I might have done or, um, or even what I thought was possible, in my emotional self, it feels wrong regardless of whether it's a tactical benefit or not. Right. Um, which means that almost every stage where I'm letting go of the business, I have to be willing for myself to feel like it emotionally is getting worse. The business is making a huge m- number of mistakes. Um, because 
I don't necessarily know that I'm the best judge at that point when I'm doing this. And um, yeah. it's only it's only since 2010 that I've been consciously coming into businesses, building them from the very beginning with the intention that I am not a functional piece of it. I might be a temporary piece, but I'm not a functional piece of it. And exactly. so I am constantly letting go of pieces. And I'll say, even having done this a lot, um, one of one of the, a company that I've been I've been building with partners for the last six years, uh, Superice Education. You mentioned it in my intro. That was just acquired in April of last year, which was a huge financial win. It's what we've been working towards. It's what we've said that we've all been working towards. And I'll tell you what, even though I've been through this before, there was about probably six months of mourning that I felt after that fact in varying degrees. Even though I was pr- I had a lot of pride about us creating something that's standalone, I felt mourning at not having that identity. And in, in crazy ways, I was a little bit resentful that their marketing was doing so well without me being a part of the marketing team. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Even though, oh, yeah. Even, even though financially, it's in my best interest for them to absolutely kick ass. Yeah. Let me, um, yeah, let me uh, share a couple thoughts here. Uh, in uh, conversations about outsourcing, one of the things we see is give your people um, – Create institutional legacies so it's easy to train your people on exactly how to do something, uh, whether that means create step-by-step instructions, film a video of you doing it one time, uh, so that you can point to something and say, this is the A standard. Uh, do it this way. Watch this. Follow this. Use as a checklist. Ask me any questions you have, but make sure you follow this. And I did that when I was in the product launch business and we would have templates would create for our clients based on things I'd already set up. And I said, okay, so your pre-launch page needs to look like this. Your opt-in for the sideways sales layer needs to look like this. Your webinar needs to look like this. It needs to have these features. Well, let's go to the webinar piece. So I outsourced uh, setting up a client's webinar and they came back to me and uh, they showed me something that didn't even vaguely resemble what I'd asked them to do. Now, in that case, I just said, okay, um, if you could please go back and review the tutorials and just find all the things that need to be here and make sure they're there. Like I didn't go off on any tangents like, oh, wait, did you actually follow what I said or did you just make this up? Like, or this is not a, you know, our standard webinar setup. Uh, what the hell are you thinking? I didn't do that. Now, merge that with what you just said is of wanting to give people room to be creative, innovative, do things differently than you, and maybe even do them better, which ultimately benefits everybody. When you ask me that question, what if I found somebody who did it better than me? So what I want to do is for the things where I already know what the gold standard is, what the A answer is, just give that to them so they don't have to think about it. And what that does is it creates the space for them to innovate elsewise. So they're not spending hours figuring out things that have already been decided. It also gives them space so they could go to my standard for setting up a webinar and say, oh, well, you know, this is really good. Uh, There's this other thing that you could easily add to this that I bet you would probably get you at least 5% more more opt-in rate or 5% more live attendance rate or what have you. Uh, what do you think of this? And then some of my processes are designed because people came to me with that and I said, good idea, do it. Show me how. No, I, you know, it, I, this is the thing that uh, I find personally for me so challenging to navigate between, between prescribing a repeatable structure 
that I know works and providing the space for other people within an organization to lead. Um, you know, and, and it makes me think of something and I've heard you say, I'm curious how you'll answer this, but, but I've heard you say it on, on other podcasts you've been on. Um, where do you think most of your experience from, like, like when someone says, how do you know so much about what you do? How are you so good at what you do? Do you have kind of a pat answer around that? Cause I, i I know my answer. Yeah. All the times I've screwed up. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And yet somehow we do not want to provide that space for our employees. Um, I personally don't think someone can really be truly call themselves a professional email marketer until they have sent the wrong email <laughs> to <laughs> hundreds of thousands of the wrong people. You have yeah, and, and, that, and that, that laugh tells me that, yes. you, that you've, that you've done that. You've been listening. Uh, you know, they, we have this one client, um, mm-hmm. he, um, and uh, every and he would send his own weekly e-newsletter, and mm-hmm. so every Monday uh, he would um, he would uh, go into his email marketing system and set it up. And for the subject line, the subject line would always begin with his name, so his name starts with a D. So yes, Dan, we know it's you. Uh, and uh, anyway, because he listens to my shows. Um, and so you know how it is when you haven't cleared your cache, and with certain fields, you just type the first letter, and it remembers what you had there last time. And you yep, just click yep. down, you know, and, uh, well, one time he typed a lowercase D and didn't click on the suggested text that dropped down, <laughs> missed this whole thing, sent out a broadcast email with the lowercase letter D. And I'm thinking, oh shoot, he's going to emote over this. But what I, but when I heard from him, I said, oh, I goofed up on my easing, but, uh, guess what? My open rates are up 7% higher than normal. And I just booked me two new clients. Yeah. So he recognized the power of the pattern interrupt and it opened his creativity so that instead of using the same email subject line week after week after week, he then started with, okay, so I'm, so now I'm going to, and he asked my help on this and I provided it to him. Uh, I'm going to study different ways I could configure my subject lines because I want to create a testing database to show what works best and gets me the best results. And then once he nailed that down, he started looking into Okay, so what's in the C newsletter? Should I have one article or two? Should I put the full article or should I put an excerpt and lead lead it to my blog post? Should I put the offer for my services at the top or should I put it at the middle or should I put it at the bottom? And it got him really thinking at that level about how to really optimize this. Now, same client um, also, uh, yeah, he sometimes, yeah, he's just a hands-on guy. So he also likes to send out a lot of his own marketing emails. So he just has me show him how to do it according to standards, and then he does it. Well, every once in a while, something goes out with a broken link. And you know statistically that happens once or twice a year, no matter how good you are. And I got his email, and I said, dude, your link's broke. He said, okay. It's like, uh, okay, do you want me to fix it and resend it for you? Do you want to fix it and resend it yourself? He said, oh, I don't, I don't do resends. Um, uh, I, don't, I don't bother people with that because I think that's a cheap, tacky way of doing things. And I see too many marketers who intentionally send broken links just so they can email twice. I'm not going to do that. So if my link's broken, my link's broken. Too bad, so sad. If they want it that bad, they can email me and I'll send them the correct link. And I thought, whoa, that's pretty cool. Yeah. With clients of mine where on the, on the consulting side, where they are so worried about making a mistake that a broken link or a typo in a subject line or something could lead to the what went wrong processing conversations and putting on 
layers and layers and layers of quality control and involving three extra people in the sending of one email just to get more eyes on it. Everything else that could possibly happen to just slow down progress. Uh, you see, I tell them that, you know what, uh, put some quality controls in place. And the best way to do that is have one person write it and another person program it. That way you have two different people on it. Your chances of actually catching something go up uh, statistically about 130%. And if once or twice a year you have a mistake, you just absorb it. You don't even talk about it, you just absorb it. Uh, because what you really are aiming for is the 99% of the time. Know your audience is not going to make fun of you if you make the occasional error because they make them themselves. If anything, they'll relate to you more. And that one person is going to reply back and blast you uh, that happens once out of every hundred times and say, hey, you didn't have to send emails. Well, you know, they're not going to buy from you either because they're spending all day criticizing others rather than building themselves. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. I agree with all that. I think the trick is, especially when trying to empower other people in the team, is is having the level of grace with team. And it, again, it comes down to, to to really knowing if wisdom versus tactics. But I I don't believe anyone can become paranoid in doing email marketing until they've screwed up a few times, really, right. really, in in really big ways. And if I if I am a business owner that, that both says I want to let go of my business to some degree and at the same time emotionally want to prove that the business can only work with me, then I am constantly pulling back. I'm solving these problems by never trusting anyone. I, and I hear so many business owners talk about just never having anyone that they can trust. Um, when we were launching Creative Live, my very first employee, Adam, uh, was the very first person that I empowered to basically be the, uh, the, the TD, the technical director, the person that switches between cameras. And I'll tell you what, I, I was that role. And if I was unwilling to take myself out of that role, Creative Live would have stopped growing right there because we would have had one, one technical director for the entire company. We would never grow further than that. And, and there would be a team that would never come into place. And upon letting go of that role, training Adam to the best I can, having him step in and take over, I immediately started seeing things that Adam was doing wrong. Yeah. And Adam needed to make some mistakes to cement his learning and to understand it. And the things that I saw as mistakes, when I, when I would calm down and look at them, I would realize that I was the only person that saw the mistake because I was the only person that had an expectation that would have been done differently. These were not ex ex mistakes that the entire viewing audience was seeing. These were differences, not mistakes. And the differences I interpreted as mistakes because I would have worked differently in this. And over time, Adam was able to focus 100% of his time into that role and eventually built out an entire team that that was running um i think we were running four studios simultaneously and he had built out an entire training program on these people meanwhile i had been doing a dozen other companies in the business yeah it took him about a month and a half of doing what i considered to be mistakes before he owned enough of the system that he could start improving it to a level that really went past anything that I would have brought to the table because I didn't have time and I was doing too many other things. Right. Well, uh, and you know, that, that, that's a very powerful 
way of looking at it. In my book, I, I, there's actually a chapter called Fail Early, Fail Often. And I tell mm-hmm. the story of a guy I used to know who was a supervisor in a call center. And he was having a, um, and he was having a mentoring conversation, if you know what I mean by that tonality, mm-hmm. with uh, one of the people who worked the phones. And uh, what he said to get through that person to help them understand that he was actually trying to help them is he said, look, the reason I'm the manager and you work for me is because I fucked up a lot more than you have. Mm-hmm. And then the person said, oh, okay, I get it now. Uh, you're not riding me. You're just trying to help me here. Cool. Help me. And that person got a lot better really quickly. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm a huge believer in creating space for intentional mistakes and for yeah. intentional failing as a learning mechanism. Now, now the one thing, if you really embrace failing, we can also create the lowest, um, the lowest risk environments to create failure opportunities so that people can yeah. learn and even invent them. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And, some, and sometimes it's a matter of looking at what the real problem is. Uh, 10 years ago, I owned a web development firm and one of our clients, I think, had about 12 different websites. Now, they would uh, nitpick and uh, want to do all kinds of little unique customizations uh, within the WordPress environment. And WordPress wasn't as dynamic as it is now in 2022 when we were having this conversation, for those of you who are listening mm-hmm. 10 years from now. Uh, back then, if you did all these unique customizations, you would often lose them when you upgraded the core or when you upgraded or added a plugin because it would create conflicts. And so as a result, it was difficult to keep his stuff upgraded. There were constant, uh, you know, having to go back and redo things. And then he started getting his sites hacked one after the other. Now I can tell you um, again, um, once you start to get to the point where you're getting viruses injected into your site on a fairly regular basis, the only real solution is to build it over again on a new platform. So build it somewhere else, use a different theme and uh, reconfigure it. Use it as an opportunity to update your brand and just start over. So so the reason I bring that up is I finally went to him and I said, uh, yeah, you're right. We are having a lot of issues with things breaking, uh, customizations disappearing, uh, hacks and things like that. And I said like this, do you want us to fix it for you so we don't have to worry about it anymore? And he was at the point where he said, yes, please, I don't want to have this conversation again. And uh, we went through and we rebuilt the stuff that needed rebuilt. And in the process of doing that, most, if not all of his customizations, it really mattered only to him, just disappeared. But I didn't tell him that. I just, uh, it took a few weeks to go through that whole process. And when it was done, I just came to him and I said, okay, I know we've been giving you updates as each site was rebuilt, but I'm telling you now they're all done. You know what he said? Thanks. I feel better now. He didn't go looking to see if this little tweak that was so important to him when it was first designed was even there anymore because he couldn't trace any evidence that it made him any more money. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, we, uh, I think, I think we can get really attached to what we believe is the correct form uh, for things. And we can really get separated from whether that form is required for business success. Yeah. A lot of businesses, uh, some of the most successful businesses I know, um, really do not adhere to individual 
processes that you think are leading edge? Often, often a business that is really successful knows the things that are important and doesn't focus too much energy on the things that are not important. Yeah. Well, I have a question I urge all entrepreneurs to ask throughout the day, whether it's something they're doing that they know works, something they're doing that may be tedious, something they're doing that may be fun. Ask yourself this question. What would happen if we didn't do this at all? And when you ask that question, you may surface things that you don't need to do anymore because they were permanent solutions to minor blips on the radar. You can just get rid of them. Uh, You may find that you have an A, B, C, D, E process. You can now turn into an A, B, E process, saving yourself two steps. You'll still get there. You'll still get the same results. And you will surface the things that are your highest revenue, highest value activities, and know that's where to put your energy. Because you'll, because by asking the question, you'll say, yeah, if we didn't do this, we'd lose our customers. Yeah, if we didn't do this, uh, we would lose marketing opportunities. Yeah, if we didn't do this, it would lead to chaos. And those are your, those are your keepers and those are your enhancers. Yep, absolutely. So another piece of what I do in my private consulting uh, for entrepreneurial ventures is, uh, we've done, we've done this with a couple of them, is set up project management softwares uh, so that they can effectively manage projects that have multiple actors involved when you have asynchronous virtual teams. Now, there are so many different ways you can draw that sketch. But my bottom line is to create an environment where deadlines matter. That means that when it's somebody else's turn to jump in on their part of the project, that the process gives them what they need at their fingertips, that's A, and B, that it creates a dependency where if it doesn't get done, it affects somebody else. Think about this, Craig. There's a million things you could do with your business right now. And you know, if you don't get to them, uh, you can easily just say, yeah, gee, Craig, I'll, I'll, sw- I'll, I'll give you a lecture next time I see you in the mirror or not. Mm-hmm. But however, if Craig writing some copy or Craig editing some copy or whatever it is, and I'm just going to use the name you use, mm-hmm. holds back Adam from being able to unleash activities on his behalf and the behalf of the team below him. And it will cause logistical problems for them if Craig doesn't come through. Are you going to stay up late to get it done? Well, it depends. So probably it at depends. that time. It depends. Mm-hmm. Yep. Probably at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the answer is probably yes. Because while it's easy to let yourself off the hook, human beings do not like to be seen as having failed or dropped the ball. So you create an environment that positively encourages them to feel like they came through and they're the hero. Yeah. That's my bottom line when it comes to task management and project management is delivery of the material so it's at their fingertips and they have everything they need, monitoring that consistently to make sure that they're getting it or to optimize further if needed, and to create dependencies where it affects somebody else if it doesn't happen because that will positively inspire them to get it done. So you are using the handoff the handoff as a forcing function for each step ahead of it. Precisely. Mm-hmm. Precisely. Leveraging that, hum- that natural human instinct to want to be the hero, to be the person that people can depend on, to be the person who comes through, the one you can count on when you need them. Yeah. Yeah. So you, uh, so you have an interesting analogy here, and I think this might be a great way of summing things up as we come 
to the end of this is, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, the difference between Aladdin and Atlas. Aladdin rode on the magic carpet. Atlas, if you remember the pictures, carries, carries the, world, the on world on his shoulders. Yep. So I think we kind of know why we want to be more like Aladdin on the magic carpet, gliding over, enjoying the ride, than Atlas having his back go out, trying to lug the entire freaking globe around. But if somebody were right now feeling like Atlas, what are a couple things they can do right now to get them closer to feeling like Aladdin? Well, honestly, the biggest thing I would say is that most small business owners tend to create a business that swells rather than scales. They tend uh-huh. to move um, outward as opposed to upward. My guess is if the business is weighing down on you instead of the business lifting you up, it is because the business is trying to do too many things. And those things are probably driven by your needs personally, as opposed to the streamlined, yeah. simple business that could lift you up and give you opportunities to explore other parts of your life. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's why I designed the reach system the way it did. Uh, I came to that point where, you know, I just didn't want to hustle and grind anymore. Candidly, I wanted to be lazy. I'm, I'm going to come out and say it. I, uh, I want to work moderately. I don't want to work according to a schedule. I want to be able to say, I will meet this commitment to have this done by X and date and have it done by X date and have it be good and fast. That's what I want. Um, I don't want it to dominate my life. And I want something that um, I can easily scale out if and involve others with um, if and when it's there. And also, so I can go back and forth. If I only have one reacher, then I'm keeping that money. But if I have 10 reachers, I need the help and the help is there. So either way, I'm getting mine. And that goes to the ultimate goal of what I want my business to do is to have a lot of money in its bank account so that I don't have to, so I can sleep well at night and not have to look at it every day. <laughs> That's it. That's the bottom line. All right. Well, may, may your bank account be full. Yes. All right. So we are at the uh, top of the hour here. And for those of our listeners who have been uh, leaning in and tuning in and intrigued by what Craig Swanson has to say, uh, what, how do they get a hold of you and what do they have to look forward to when they do? Well, I think probably the best place to find me is at craigswanson.org. Yes. Craigswanson.org, not.com. Got it. Um, and, uh, and there'll be links to all the various things that I do. And, uh, if they wish, they can schedule time to talk with me. Absolutely. Yeah, when I visit that website right now, I see it's right there on the front page. So, yep. uh, so Craig, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor, and believe me, in education. Adam, I've really enjoyed this. Thank you very much for your time today. Yep. Yep. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.